Well, hello and welcome once again to In the Growth Space. My name is David McGlennon. I'm your host. And this is the show for business owners and leaders who have a thirst for growth. I just want to say thanks for listening in. And if this is your first time listening, welcome. This podcast is all about growth. It's about business growth. It's about team growth. It's about personal growth. And on today's show, we're going to talk about how to build and grow and scale a business. And we're going to talk with a, a friend of mine, Kevin Trout, who fell into an industry and, and really grew his own business before selling it. But let me just tell you a little bit about Kevin first, and then we'll get into the conversation. So Kevin Trout is an experienced entrepreneur. He's been a business owner and a sales professional for over 30 years, and he was in the medical device industry. Uh, Kevin was the founder and president of Grandview Medical Resources in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and that was a specialty medical equipment distributor with an average annual growth rate of 23% per year. And then he sold his company in 2011. But now he is a Vistage chair and he's a coach, advisor, and facilitator for high-performing CEOs, executives, and business owners who have a passion to grow their businesses and enhance their lives. Kevin leads several CEO peer advisory groups who meet monthly to advise each other in a completely objective forum where world-class speakers and subject matter experts from across the U.S. regularly present half-day uh, in-depth explorations of C-level business topics. Kevin is also the host of the Three Rivers Leadership Radio Show on 101.5 FM here in Pittsburgh, and he interviews Pittsburgh's high-performing CEOs, business owners, and executives to learn about their backgrounds and leadership styles. The show airs every Wednesday, and it's also available as a podcast on the podcastpittsburgh.com site. Now, today in our conversation, Kevin is going to share something that I think is really profound. And I, I know that there are a lot of CEOs, a lot of business owners who get caught into what Kevin calls the CEO trap. And he's going to talk about the four phases of business. And he's talking and giving this analogy or this metaphor of, of shifting from first gear to second gear to third gear to fourth gear. And, and I really love this analogy. And he talks a, a, a lot about the challenge of getting out of second gear, going from second gear to third gear, and, and really paying the price to, to gain those exponential returns that, that every business owner is looking for. And really, at the core of that matter, it's really important to have others to help us look at an issue and to be able to process an issue. And that's exactly what Kevin and his Vistage groups, his peer groups uh, do. The culture conversation with Kevin also is really good. And of course, Kevin really sings from my song sheet. So uh, we're super aligned on culture. Uh, he's a great leader. He's a great coach. And this is an amazing conversation. So let's get into this great conversation with Kevin Trout right now. Well, hey, Kevin, welcome to In the Growth Space. Really excited to have you here. I know this is going to be a fantastic conversation. Hey, thanks for having me, David. I appreciate the invitation. I'm looking forward to chatting. Yes, of course, of course. Why don't we uh, just start off by telling the listeners a little bit about how you got to where you are today, kind of a little bit about your business and, and your growth journey. Wow. So uh, quick story. Uh, I fell into medical equipment sales right out of college 
more or less. And I spent my entire career, my formal career in medical sales. Quick story. I got a phone call from a fraternity brother one day. So what are you doing? I said, nothing. You guys want to make 50 bucks? I said, sure. <laughs> he said, well, drive over to Youngstown, Ohio, St. Elizabeth's Hospital, meet my boss in the loading dock, give him your car. He's going to give you a truck with medical equipment and bring it back. We're going to take it to the hospital. I said, yeah, for 50 bucks, I'll do that. Sure. So I met his boss in the loading dock. That's about an hour and a half drive from Pittsburgh. And he says, hey, are you a friend of Dave's? I said, yeah, we're fraternity brothers. He goes, well, we need another employee in Pittsburgh if you want the job at yours. That was my entire interview. <laughs> and that's how I got my first job. Oh my and I gosh. spent 11 years with that company, helping it grow up to $124 million a year in, in sales. I was promoted four times in the last five years with the company, ended up being in charge of the whole East Coast mm. as a regional manager. That, that was a great ride over an 11-year period. And then I got recruited to uh, another company, started a Pittsburgh office, grew that. And uh, then I got recruited to another company. And so that, that third job was great. I had all of Eastern half of North America, Canada, oh, wow. through Chicago, down through New Orleans, Puerto Rico, everything on the East. And I was in charge of that. And I grew the business 31% that first year. And they'd never grown more than 10% a year. And I'm like, what the heck did you do? <laughs> I said, yeah. I just have my way of getting, you know, getting the business and helping our, our distributors. And so the second year I was on track to grow 36% and they made me the vice president of sales. Nice. And I thought so I was going to be international, right? Yeah. Um, I said, great. Six months later, they said, oh, by the way, you have to relocate to Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is where the home office was. I said, oh, I man. wish you would have told me that before I uh, <laughs> the job, but it really came down. That I didn't want to relocate. I want to stay. Sure. So after those three companies, which made up the first 15 years of my career, I chose to start my own company so I could stay in Pittsburgh. Mm. We're from Pittsburgh. My wife is from here and our family's from here. So we decided to stay. So 1996, I, I started Granby Medical Resources. And from there, grew it over a 16 year period up to 14 million in sales. And, and I sold it off at the beginning of 2016. And so I got to retire, retire, right? <laughs> Quote, unquote, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that was my ride, right? That was my career. Always in medical sales, did very, very well. Loved it, especially owning my own business and growing that from scratch. That was a thrill ride for me. I like to say it was sometimes a white knuckle ride, but- Yes, of course. <laughs> but it was great. And then when I retired, I got to do what I'm doing now, which is I'm a Vistage chair. I get to run some Vistage peer advisory forums because I'd been a member during the time I owned my own company. I was a member for 16 years. And uh, when I sold my company, Vistage said, well, we need some more group chairs, run some groups for us. And would you be interested? I said, absolutely. I get to give back to the community that gave so much to me. And, and so I started that. And, and uh, now I have four different Vistage groups. I have about 40 members total. And, and it's a peer advisory forum. And it was the best decision I made as a business owner to understand how to grow a business from startup to scale up to, to, to getting to that. Very few small businesses. I think it's only 93% of small businesses make it past the 10 million in revenue mark. I learned that from, I think, the Pitts IEE. Okay. So I was in that, you know, 7% zone, which I thought was, okay, I didn't know that, but that's great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that was my long answer to your short question. 
No, no, I love that. And, and I, I love just hearing the, the progression and, and how you've grown. I mean, obviously, this is the growth in the growth space. And so we're going to dig into that too a little bit. And I, I guess probably just to the audience, you can see now why I wanted to have Kevin on the podcast, because he's had the experience in the trenches, not only working for somebody and growing business and growing revenue, but then also on his own and growing his own business and then selling it off. And I know, Kevin, that before we got started, we were talking a little bit off offline about something that you called the CEO trap. And, and, and I think that I'd like to start there because when we talk about growth, there are oftentimes things that hinder us and things that slow us down as business owners, as CEOs. And so talk us through what you called the CEO trap and tell us a little bit about that because I think that was brilliant. Absolutely. I, it's something I learned along the way. Uh, I think I learned it from a Vistage chair or someone, but I really relate. It just resonated with me because I went through all these same phases. I think there's, for the most part, there's four phases to a business growth cycle. My analogy is it's like driving a manual transmission car, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You start off in first gear. The owner wears all the hats. He's out there making sales calls. He's trying to generate revenues. He's trying to, you know, it's just about bringing in customers. So it's getting some forward momentum. At some point, you've got to push in the clutch and shift into second gear. And I define second gear as you start to hire some people. You start to hire maybe an office admin, maybe a bookkeeper, or or maybe you outsource your your uh, your controller role. You hire a few salespeople. Maybe you hire a support person or two. And so the next thing you know, you've got four or five, six people reporting to you. And that's the beginning of second gear. Yeah. The trap is you got to get out of second gear and move into third gear. And that's what mm. this is what that looks like. Second gear, you continue to you grow your business. You're bringing in more customers. Revenues are growing. You hire more people. And the next thing you know, you've got 10, 12, 15, maybe 20 people, but they're all reporting to the owner. And the owner still thinks he needs to make all the decisions. And as a, as a leader or a manager, you really can't lead more than six, maybe eight people max as direct reports. And so you've got way too many people reporting to you. Communication breaks down as a result. The owner becomes sort of a bottleneck, if, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. And I don't mean that in a derogatory manner. It just, it is what it is. And so the trap becomes when owners are uh, reluctant to push in the clutch and shift into third gear. Third gear is when you start to bring in some professional management people. You start to put people in charge of the different departments in your organization, because by now you've got several salespeople, you need somebody to be the sales leader or the sales manager. You need somebody to be in charge of administration, which is the billing and inventory, things like that. You need a finance director, all this stuff that EOS talks about, right? Yeah, right. The entrepreneurial operating system. Those leadership roles need to be put in place in third gear. And yes, in third gear, the owner still is out making sales calls with his salespeople, trying to close the big deals, right? He's not on every deal, but he's on the big deals. And he's still working in the business, but he's spending more of his time strategically on the business. And he's sort of split between strategy and tactical, working on the business, working in the business. And moving from second gear to third gear is where the reluctance occurs. And and you've got too many people reporting to the owner. And that's what I call the CEO trap. You've got to push in the clutch and you've got to make that investment to bring in people to lead the teams into third gear, because eventually you're going to get the fourth gear. You got to push in the clutch and shift into fourth gear. And this is when the owner is no longer working, working in the business. He's working on the business full time, 
strategy, vision, vision. right? Face yes. of the company, mm-hmm. but he's got leadership team running the departments and their responsibility is bringing in revenues, controlling expenses, generating the profits. And the trick is profits tend to get really big in the second year. But when you shift from second year to third year, profits are going to shrink because you're making an investment in leadership. However, if you do it right and you eventually get the fourth gear, the profits not only return, they return exponentially greater than mm. it could have ever been if you stayed in second gear. And I went through all four of those phases and all the business people that I talked to, many of them are stuck in second gear and they're just so reluctant to push in the clutch and shift to third gear because they're, they are afraid to sacrifice the profit margins that they have right now. Mm. And they know, well, it's going to be really expensive to hire this person at this amount. And, you know, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the payoff comes later. Right. If you're not willing for the, to, to get to the later payoff, you're going to get stuck. Yeah. And then you basically, you'll, your revenues are going to plateau at some point. Yeah. So my manual transmission car <laughs> theory is I've seen it play out and I, I experienced it myself. The trick isn't being in a different gear. So the trick is knowing when to push in the clutch. Because yeah. if you don't push it in soon, if you push it in too soon, you're going to stall the engine. Yeah. But if you wait too long and you push in the clutch too late, the tachometer has already gone in the red zone and you got some people burned out. And the number one person that gets burned out is the owner. The owner. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. How do, how do you get the owner then to recognize and, and move out of second gear? You know, I, I think it's probably pretty apparent when to go from first gear to second gear, probably. But from second gear to third gear, it really seems to me that it's a mindset thing and you have to really overcome that mindset of, oh my gosh, my profit margins are going to go really, you know, shrink. Yeah. And so how do you, how do you get them past that? Well, it's a paradigm shift. And I think the, the bottom line is they, they, they don't know what they're getting into. They don't know if it's going to pay off. They're unsure. Yeah. It's unclear what the future might hold, you know, because then, because the question they always ask me in return is what if I push in a clutch and shift in a third gear and we don't grow? Hmm. Okay. Well, whose fault is that? Right. (laughs) Right. Um, If you've already been growing, this is going to free up your ability to to grow even more. Yeah. If for some reason you've been growing and you shift into third gear and your growth stops, you must have hired the wrong people or Mm. you must have, you're trying to execute on a strategy that's not going to work or your strategy is good, but your execution is, is um, imperfect. Sure. So it's about diagnosing what's holding you back when you're in yeah. third year to, to, to continue that growth. And rest assured, this is how most businesses go, do grow and get into fourth gear. You're going to have to sacrifice the profits in the third gear. Their biggest fear is I don't want to lose the profits. Well, yeah. really, if you want to get the fourth gear where your profits are exponentially greater than they, will, than they could ever be in second gear, you've got to make this investment right. and play the long game. Or as Simon Sinek, I love Simon yeah. Sinek book the infinite game absolutely gotta play the infinite game no doubt about it i man i'm glad you brought that up too because (laughs) i think that i so agree with you and i think that it's really having someone to help them diagnose that that third gear and and like you said i mean there's either something that went wrong in the strategy or it's not quite right or maybe their processes are, are are not perfect yet or not not firing on all cylinders to use your your uh, automobile <laughs> analogy but yeah so how how is it then that when you go well actually let's just back up for a second here so getting to getting to third gear how important is it then to have somebody 
help them and, and help them to get from second gear to third gear, some outside? I mean, you're involved in peer groups and you've been involved in peer groups for a number of years. How important was that to you what, in, in your own business growth? Oh, it was incredibly important. Joining a Vistage Peer Advisory Group of other small business owners like myself, single best decision I made. Mm. Second best decision was to get into my trade association and oh, yeah. I served on the board and, and I became a president. You get out of it what you put into it. I put a lot into it. I got a lot out of it. The Vistage was the number one and most important thing because I, I, I got to sit around the table with other business owners like myself in different industries and we, we shared best practices. We processed difficult issues. I learned so much, not from processing the challenges I was being faced with, but by processing the issues other members were having trouble with. Because I remember so many of the issues were like, wow, I haven't been hit with that yet, but I believe it's just a question of time. Right. And sure enough, some of those issues I did get hit with later on down the road, but I was much better prepared for it because we'd already processed the issue for someone else. And mm-hmm. I had some great perspectives. And, and the Vistage Peer Advisory Model, you'd be surprised at how diverse the perspectives are on every issue that we process, mm-hmm. which is good. It's a good thing because it helps us see things from different angles, right? It's, it's, it, and somebody usually nails it with like the absolute perfect thing, right? And it's never the same person. And as soon as we hear it, we go, oh my gosh, never thought of that. Yeah. So it expands our perspectives. It expands our ability to think outside the box and look at things from a different angle. And, and really ultimately, When we're done processing someone's issue, we don't tell them what to do. We ask them, based on what you heard from everyone around the table, what do you think you're going to do? And that's where it really plays out is, well, I heard this, 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 and this, and those are the things I'm going to do. Great. Yeah. What are you going to do it by? Because next month, we're going to ask you. We're going to ask you. We're all accountable to move forward on the really difficult decisions that they're faced with. And I would have to say 90% of the time when they came back the next month, they say, the decision that you helped me make was absolutely the right decision because it went so well. Mm-hmm. 10% of the time, I'll come back and say, well, I didn't pull the trigger yet. Like, okay, what got in the way? And do we have another issue to process? So right. we really nudge people forward in getting things done yeah. and doing and making the right decision for themselves, for their business, for their community, for their family. All of those things play a part, right? But yeah. it's that diverse perspective. It's just, you don't have to go it alone. Yeah, right. You can be lonely at the top if you try to do it by yourself. Yeah. And if you try to do it by yourself, you're probably not going to get it right. Yeah. Exactly. You don't know everything you need to know. Yeah, exactly. So, so true. It's so interesting because I, I think that so often business owners think that they've got to have it all figured out. I, I talk about this with my emerging leaders all the time that look, as, as you become a leader and as you grow in your leadership, the more you grow, the more you're going to recognize that you don't have it all figured out and that you need other perspectives to be able to help you to see all the way around. I call it all, all around the, the beach ball. You know, there's an exercise that I use and I'll, I'll hold up the beach ball, ask, you know, the person sitting across from me, if it was you, I'd say, well, what do you see? Well, I see, you know, blue and and red and green and, and 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 white and i say oh that's funny because i see orange and yellow and red and white and we're looking at the same thing but it's just a different angle a different perspective and then that really helps us to be able to get a full perspective of what the issue is and so i, I love that you you talk about processing an issue and, and frankly just having peers around you even if you're not having the issue, your issue processed, 
there are things that you're capturing from what's being said that help you. And that's the power of the mastermind. I mean, here we are in Pittsburgh and, and Andrew Carnegie was the, the, the originator of the mastermind, so to speak. And, you know, being able to kind of, you know, capture those other thoughts and, and having the power of those other thought minds in the room is, is so key. So key. I guess, how do we use that? What do you tell business leaders who are, let's say they're going from, from second gear to third gear, or they think they need to get out of second gear? What's the first thing that you have them to, to do? We have a conversation. What's hold, what do you think is holding you back? Where do you, and where do you want to take this thing? Ideal yeah. world, what's your ultimate vision? Mm-hmm. Where would you like to grow this thing to? Yeah. Whether it's a revenue number target or it's a number of clients or it's the size of the company. What's your dream, right? And where are you now and how far away are you and what's holding you back? Right. Ultimately, it usually comes down to the the owner, founder, CEO is is the bottleneck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because they're not quite sure. They're always unsure as to what the next step should be. Yeah. I can tell you that just hiring more people and having 20 Going from 20 to 30 people reporting directly to the owner is not going to solve your issues. I also think culture is extremely important. So as you hire people, you got to make sure they're a good culture fit. You know, there's an old saying, increased revenues can cure a lot of ills in your business. I don't think that's true. I think revenue cures the bills. Culture cures the ills. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I'm going to have to steal that from you, Kevin, man. That's, I love it. (laughs) Because no matter what the the revenues are. Yeah, yeah. Your your culture won't improve unless you intentionally address it. And you want to create the culture that that you really want to have. And if you don't do something intentional to create the culture you want, the culture will form itself. And it yeah. never forms itself in a positive way. Right. It tends to form itself in a negative way. And then you have all kinds of problems down the road. And you you know this so well. I've learned so much from you sure. on the eight steps to create the culture that you want, right? Terrific, terrific mm-hmm. uh concept. And really drills home. The whole thing about my favorite part, I love a lot of it, but my favorite part was mission, vision, and values. Values are the nouns. You've got to attach behaviors to the values because the behaviors are verbs. Yeah. And if you don't take that exercise or the time to do that exercise, values don't mean that much if people don't understand what that looks like. Right. You know, if a value is got to be responsive, we'll define that, right? Mm-hmm. Might ask one employee, well, what's responsive to you? Well, as long as I get back in 24 hours, no. Somebody else might say, well, just as long as we get back to them the same day they reach out to us, no. What does responsive mean? If it, if you're, if you as the owner want it to be two hours or less, you've got to write that as the behavior that represents the value. Yeah. That's just my one example, right? Yeah, this exactly. Is something you talk about all the time. Yeah. And I, I truly believe that culture I mean, it's easy to come up with a great strategy. Executing the strategy, the implementation is the hardest part. And not having a good culture will destroy the efforts of uh, implementing whatever strategy, right? The implementation, it just gets eaten alive with a bad culture. So you've got to have the right culture and the right strategy. And that makes implementation a thousand times easier. Yeah, I'm yeah. To the choir here, David. Yeah, no, you are, but I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And, and I think you know, coming back to your analogy and using the the shifting analogy, first gear to second gear, I really believe that it's it being intentional in that first gear and second gear phase is crucial to being able to take it from second gear to third gear. Personally, my opinion is if you're in second gear and you haven't really defined your culture 
it's not going to help you to go into third gear. I oh. really think you need to have that defined right in second gear if you haven't already in first gear. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Nine spot. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, you know, too, when it comes to culture, culture is the thing that will, will multiply when we get into fourth gear, that's going to even just create that that exponential multiplication of, of profits and, and growth in in a, in a way that probably you can't even fathom right now. But it's it's so important. The other thing I was going to say about culture too, especially as it regards to the business owner, because you said something that I think is is really important, and, and that is that. You can be the bottleneck. If I'm talking to you right now and you're the, the business owner, you can be the bottleneck. You also can be, if you have a crappy culture, you got to look in the mirror because, and as harsh as that sounds, yeah. you got to look in the mirror. If there's a crappy culture, if, if the culture, even if it's not crappy, if it's good, but it's not world-class, you still have to look in the mirror because the business leader and the leadership team are the ones who are driving culture. And if you're not driving it intentionally, it's being driven for you. And so if it's going to be that big of a deal at the end of the day, why not drive it intentionally? So I'll get off my <laughs> soapbox here now. <laughs> I know I'm preaching to the choir too, but uh, man, you brought up a great point. Yeah. No, one of the one of the leading indicators of, of a culture problem, I think, is a high turnover, employee yeah, turnover. Absolutely. Um, it's more than 30% a year. That to me is a clear indication of a failure of management. Yeah, they don't. They have not created the culture that's necessary to engage people, yeah. or they're not. Their hiring process is is flawed, or they're hiring the right people, but they're not onboarding them. Onboarding tends to be the weakest link in the chain of events. Yeah, and so if you're hiring the right people and you're onboarding them properly, mm -hmm. and they still leave, you got a culture problem. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Hey, I, I want to shift gears on you for just a second, Kevin, because we've been talking about business growth and you know how we accomplish that and what some of the things are that get, get in our way. Shifting gears from first to second to third to fourth. I love that. What's been your biggest growth in your career, in your life? Like what has what's driven that for you? Well, falling into medical sales and realizing that the technology we were supplying save lives mm -hmm. that really thrilled me I, I really got a great deal of uh of sense of accomplishment and value out of the work that i did yeah and um yeah it was a lot of long hours and so i spent my entire career in medical devices mm -hmm. but learning how to be a business owner and really understanding how to become a much better leader right uh -huh. i was one of those guys right my promotion from being a top producing salesperson into a, my first management role. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to getting that first job, right? Sure. Hey, if you want the job, it's yours. So being promoted into a management position was like, wow, you've done really well in sales. We're going to make you a manager. And that was the extent of my management training. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's great. Now I got to figure this out. And so I've read a lot of books. I'm an avid reader. I've read hundreds of business books and leadership became in my uh, pet passions for, for lack of a better term. Yeah. I'm always looking to learn from other leaders. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm one of those guys that just like, I know I don't, when I was younger, I said, I know that I don't know everything that there is to know that and everything I need to know. I want to continue to get better. Yeah. And I want to, I want to be able to have people that work for me that are, that are motivated and empowered. And how do you do that? I've learned a lot about how to really lead people, not manage them, but lead them. There's yeah. a difference. Yes, there and is. A better leader versus being a manager to me, 
I think that really motivated me. I've had some wonderful employees working for me. They have gone on and their careers have just exploded. They've done really well. And I am so thrilled and happy to be the guy that said, I can say, hey, I, I was their mentor, right? I had a mentor. The first yeah. guy that hired me on that loading dock. He was my mentor for 11 years and he was he was a great leader. Yeah, I mean, He was a great leader. And I emulate, I try to emulate how he ran things, right? Yeah. And I've worked for some other managers that were, they had no business being in management. That whole yeah. micromanagement thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> that never works. I don't know why. I don't know why managers think that's the right way to manage. I think people. that's the way to go. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't work. They're right. Exactly. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Gosh, I, I love that because the two things that you said really is it connected really back to your why. I mean, when you start talking about what led to your growth, and it was doing work that meant something to you that you felt like, gosh, this is going to help save lives. It's going to improve lives. I mean, and I think there's no better way to experience growth than to really be connected to your why. And I just, I absolutely love that. And, and then you also talked about having a mentor. And I really, I think that one of the things that you do very well, Kevin, is you are that mentor and that in the Vistage share role, but outside of that too, you're a mentor to others because you value people. And I think that valuing people and being a mentor, but also seeking out a mentor is a key to growth. And I, I hope that people ca caught that because that that I think is, is huge. And if you don't have a mentor, you got to seek one out. If you don't have a coach, you got to seek one out. If you don't have a peer group, call Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I would say most every really successful, high-powered executive has had a coach. Yeah. And just like professional athletes, they all have coaches that got them to the level that they are. Absolutely. It's hard yeah. for them to, to make it to the major leagues without having a coach or coaches along the way. Right. And I think the same thing applies to business. If you want to be a high powered you know, CEO, high powered executive, you're going to need a coach along the way just to help you get better and better and better. Yeah. And that's really what it's all about. Right. You know, no matter how good we are, we want to keep continuing to grow personally and professionally. And, Absolutely. and that's what this has really delivered for me. Yeah. Yeah. I totally I'll agree. Grow my business. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, I think that I love the analogy with professional athletes because the, the the greats, the superstars, you know, the Michael Jordans, the uh, you know Kobe Bryant's, all, all of the, the the greats are are wanting to continue to improve. They they don't stay where they are. They want to keep getting better and better and better. And they need somebody else to help them. They need the power of the other. That's a great book too, by the way. That's been a uh, that's been a while ago. I don't know if you remember that one or not. But Dr. Henry Cloud, the power of yeah. the other. That's a that's a great one. Well, so tell you know, kind of as we start to to wrap up here, Kevin. What do you think? What would you tell business owners who are listening right now, or or just leaders? Maybe they're in business right now. Um, what's the biggest thing that they can do for their own personal and professional growth? Never stop learning. Never stop learning. Love that. Leaders are learners. Yes. Leaders are readers, right? Yes. Yes. Um, I think reading books, attending seminars, joining a peer advisory uh, group or forum, it will never be a waste of time. You will always get nuggets of wisdom that you can apply in your own life and your business and your career. And yeah. as long as you continue to take in that type of information, that type of wisdom and you, and you apply it, yep. you're going to continue to get better. It's when you stop listening to others and you stop reading or you stop going to the training seminars or you stop being part of any type of collaborative, collaborative group. That's when you stagnate. To me, honestly, as old as I am, 
when I stop learning, I'll be bored. (laughs) Boredom doesn't sit well with me. So I've got to continue to learn. I really, I am thrilled with the speakers that we bring in. I learn so much from them. And uh, I know my, my members do too. Yeah. And uh, for me, it's just, I'm always excited to learn something new that I, I already know, Hey, I can apply that in my, in what I'm doing. I can apply it to the, the coaching that I provide to the other executives. You know, I'm at that point where I've been there, right. I've been through this whole process Sure. and my, my why now, or my thrill now is to really help other business owners and, and business leaders just, Hey, I don't you don't have to make the same mistakes I did. Right, I'm, right. I'm through that. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I had another business owner on a, a few weeks ago that said exactly the same thing. Hey, I can tell you, you know, the 25 ways that don't work. <laughs> so, so learn from me, learn from my mistakes. I love that. Shout out to John Johnson. <laughs> oh man. No, I love that. And I, I love the fact that you talked about reading, you know, because I think that that is a huge passion. Now I think it is a huge passion of mine. And so I'd love to, to learn from you what are what, like one or one or two books that you're reading right now or maybe one or two that you've read so far this year that that you felt were really great because i'm i'm always wanting to learn from from the people that i have on the podcast too there's two books that changed my life and i read them early on thankful that i did because it, it was a paradigm shift for me and i think that the two of them together led me to be as one of the most successful salespeople in the organizations that i was with in those three previous companies and helped me with Growing my business uh, 23% a year was our average annual growth rate. The first one was When I Say No, I Feel Guilty by Dr. Manuel Smith. And that's all about assertiveness training. And it's how to deal with irate customers. It's how to conversations that never escalate into anything derogatory or, or, or screaming matches. It's how to de-escalate and then really get through the conversation to consensus or something like that. Yeah. And it's a great book. It was written in the late seventies, but it's still one of the definitive books on assertiveness training today. When I read that, I was never worried about dealing with an irate customer again. Taught me how to turn it around being a bad situation into a good situation. And that was great. Second book was Marketing Warfare oh, by nice. Al Reese and, okay. and Jack Trout. That talked about the four marketing strategies or sales strategies that most people aren't aware of. Everybody thinks that in sales, you're either on offense or defense, right? Defense, you're protecting your customers from your competition, or if they're your competitor's customer, you're on the offense because you want to steal them. Yeah, yeah. There's actually two more. There's flanking the enemy and guerrilla tactics. Knowing which one to use in a given situation really was impactful for me. If you're the number one player in the market space that you're in, you're always on defense because everybody's trying to take your business. Yeah. If you're the number two player, you're always on offense because you're trying to overtake number one. Uh-huh. But if you're not number one or number two, you have no business using offense or defense. You need to be using flanking maneuvers or guerrilla tactics. You know, some obvious examples were the Burger Wars, right? McDonald's, yeah. Burger King, they're number yes. one and number two. Sure. Flanking the enemy was Wendy's. Uh-huh. They were focusing on the kids. There's yeah. no meals there. Comfortable seating, you know, more a little bit more gourmet, a hamburgers, even a salad bar, right? Yeah. But it's catered to the to the adults, fast food, better tasting, more comfortable seating. If you ever sit in McDonald's, yeah. your seating is purposely uncomfortable because they don't want you hanging around. Yeah. Wendy's made comfortable seating because they wanted you to stick around. Interesting. And, um, Wendy's was a flanking maneuver to the number one and number two players. Wow. A guerrilla tactic would be White Castle. Okay. The sliders, right? Yeah. You buy sliders for a buck. 
Yeah. They're, they're in low rent districts. They're regional. They're not a national player. They're basically on the East Coast. They're open really late at night. Past <laughs> the bar closing time. Right. <laughs> yeah. So they're catering to a totally different crowd. It's so and, true. And that's a guerrilla tactic. But the profit per White Castle store is greater than the profit per McDonald's store. Wow. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. I got to go get this book. I, I've never heard of this book, so I love it. Thank you for sharing this. <laughs> this is great. Those guys wrote Marketing Warfare, Warfare. I changed my selling style because I never worked for the number one or number two player. Sure. So I used the flanking maneuver and I picked up all, I, literally I was doing business with all of their customers, yeah. making a ton of money because we weren't competing. We were complimenting. We were offering things that they didn't offer. And so it was a flanking maneuver. And there's a lot of great examples in that marketing warfare, but it changed the way I perceived my selling style and it worked. And then they also wrote the second book they wrote was Differentiate or Die. And I'm a huge believer in different, differentiating oh, what yeah. you do compared to your competitors. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, those are some great books. I, I, I always revert, I always revere those books. I, I tell everybody you got to read them if you haven't. But there's been many books. I mean, my latest one I've been reading is Simon Sinek's The Infinite Game, and it just resonates with me. Yeah, but really, it's so good. The long game, not the short. Yeah. Stop thinking about 90 day yeah. reports or yeah. what are you, you going to sell by Friday of this week? Right. What, what's, what are you going to sell by the end of the month? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I mean, and, and having that, that mindset shift is so, so key. I think for the, for the companies in our new economy, the ones that are going to grasp that infinite game and really understand that. I think they're going to, A, they're going to invest in their people. They're going to invest in their culture. They're going to define their culture. And, and they're going to be around for a long time because the ones that are just playing to quote unquote win, they're not going to be around because they're playing the inf they're playing the finite game rather than the infinite game. Yeah. I, I love this concept about you don't have any competitors. What you do have is rivals. Yes. We're the There's rivals. There's a big difference between the two. Absolutely. And understanding what that difference is and knowing how to use it to your advantage and yeah. really play the long game. Totally. Yeah. It's totally worth reading that book. Yeah, absolutely agree, Kevin. Hey, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. And really, I just, you know, I love the, the analogy you use about going from first gear to second gear to third gear to fourth gear and that CEO trap. And, and uh, I'd love to hear from our listeners. So, so those of you who are listening to this, this episode, I'd love to hear from you. What gear are you in? And uh, shoot, shoot me a note. And uh, there'll be uh, some email address in the, in the show notes so you can shoot it to me. Kevin, one last thing before we go, how can people get a hold of you? Where's the best place to uh, connect with you? Absolutely. Welcome everybody to connect with me on LinkedIn. And then my, my email address is kevin.trout at vistagechair.com. And anybody wants to have a conversation about exploring Vistage further, I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Love to have a conversation. It's not for everybody. I'll be yep. the first to admit that. But if it's a good fit and something you want to try out, I always invite them to explore. Yeah. And uh, and if they get value, great. If they don't, I'm okay with that too. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but it's worth exploring. I, I got so much value out of it myself. I attribute my Vistage membership to the reason why my company grew as fast as it did every year over year. I even had my banker tell me I need to slow down. It's growing too fast. <laughs> you know? I love that. That's nice to have your banker tell you to slow down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, the maximum sustainable growth rate for a distribution company is between 20 and 25% a year. And we were right there at 23%. Wow. 
And I, and I was asking for an increase on my million dollar line of credit. And he goes, yeah. whoa, 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 you need to slow down. You're growing too fast. <laughs> out. You're outstripping your cash flow. And he was right. Yeah. And my goal then was like strategic growth. How do I stay in that zone and not yeah. exceed it? I didn't want to go below 20% growth either. So I wanted to stay right there. And that helped a lot. Actually, that helped a lot. And my Vistage member said, yeah, he's right. You know, he's, he's got a really good point. And what Vistage helped me maintain that. So. so for those of you who are listening, I mean, Kevin is dropping just nuggets of gold all the way through this podcast. And so I hope that you'll reach out to Kevin. We'll make sure that we have his email address in the show notes and of course uh, his linkedin a link to his his profile in in the show notes as well kevin thank you so much i, I appreciate your generosity of time and, and thank you for our friendship it's been uh, fun to have you on the the show today and, and also just uh, to be able to, to to have you as a as a mentor from afar i really appreciate it thanks david i appreciate our friendship and and you've come and spoken to several of my visage groups and they still talk about your presentation on culture Oh, They're cool. still talking about you. That's awesome. That was a year ago. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. I really do appreciate it. And hopefully uh, someday I'll get a chance to come back and uh, maybe uh, do, you know facilitate a conversation further. So yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did with Kevin. You know, there were some key things for me that as I thought back about the conversation that I just wanted to bring out here at the end that, that Kevin shared. And, and, and I think the first thing is that's most important is that if you're that business owner, if you're a business leader, you need a mentor, you need a coach. And, and quite frankly, you, you, you need a group of people around you that will help you to see what you don't see. And uh, I think that that is probably one of the biggest things that Kevin talked about or shared in this conversation. And, and then also just never stop learning. Always continue to be a learner, continue to, to learn new things, have a curiosity. And if you're a business owner and you've made it to that second gear, make sure that you go back and, and listen to that part where Kevin talks about how to make the shift into third gear, into that third gear phase and, and really what to expect in that phase of, the, of your business growth. I also would like to just say that as it relates to culture, if you are in second gear and you haven't defined your culture yet in terms of the behaviors that lead to your success in your mission, you got to reach out to me. We've got a process and a mobile app that can really be helpful for you to be very intentional and, and really bring that human part of your culture together with the process to get that magic in the middle. And I'd love to be able to share that with you. If you're still in first gear, that's the best time to be able to, to take advantage of this eight-step process. But the other thing that, that Kevin shared, and these are two book recommendations that I have not read, and I'm going to add these books to my reading list. But the book is, two books that I, I picked up were uh, When I Say No, I Feel Guilty, and it's uh, around assertiveness training, and then Marketing Warfare. Those were two, I think, that that uh, Kevin shared that, that really stood out to me. And, you know, Kevin really dropped some gold nuggets in this conversation just around business leadership, business growth. And I really hope that you'll reach out to him. Take him up on his offer to, to go visit one of his groups when and see if uh, a Vistage Peer Group is, is right for you. Uh, we'll put his contact information in the show notes. 
Thanks again for tuning in. And and please share this with someone who you believe would get great value from hearing this conversation. Please also be sure to subscribe because you don't want to miss next week's conversation with a great colleague and performance coach, Fiona Roberts. I actually got to work with Fiona this year, and I just have to say she's awesome. I've learned so much from her, and so I can't wait for you to hear that conversation. But for now, just stay in that growth space and be well. Mm